Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Impeached again. Now preparations start on a second Senate trial. Biden's bailout, the president-elect to unveil a $2 trillion financial aid deal. And who's in and who's out? Two WHO scientists blocked from China after positive COVID antibody tests. It's Thursday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move, as always, where we'll bring you all the latest on those truly historic events coming out of Washington, D.C., and reaction from big business leaders, too. Let me give you a sense of what's coming up. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce CEO Tom Donahue, his influential body, also eyeing a top-to-bottom rethink of just how it donates cash to politicians. Plus, we'll have reaction from big tech Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins and the Microsoft president Brad Smith, too. So lots coming up on the show. In the meantime, lawmakers may view impeachment in terms of the future and potentially could tailing any Trumpian ambitions to return to power. Investors, meanwhile, I think view impeachment in terms of the past. For them, Biden's big stimulus reveal is certainly the main event today. Reports suggest it could be as much as $2 trillion. As I've mentioned, the need well and truly underscored once again by a brutal new reading on jobs. More than 960,000 Americans filing for first-time benefits last week, a jump, in fact, of almost 200,000 people on the prior week. All this as the United States reports more than 4,300 lives lost to COVID on Tuesday alone. That's the deadliest day in the crisis to date. Look, there's no shortage of issues for Washington-based lawmakers to address, but for now, the focus remains on impeachment. Let's get to the drivers. Preparations are underway for the Senate trial of Donald Trump, the first U.S. president to be impeached twice. Ten House Republicans joined Democrats in charging President Trump with inciting insurrection in last week's riots in the Capitol. As Sunland Safati reports. Inside the U.S. Capitol, now protected by armed National Guard troops. The eyes are 232. The nays are 197. The House voting to impeach President Trump for the second time, exactly one week after a pro-Trump mob stormed the building in a deadly riot. He must go. He is a clear and present danger to the nation that we all love. House Democrats explaining why they believe Trump should be charged with incitement of insurrection. Donald Trump is a living, breathing, impeachable offense. If inciting a deadly insurrection is not enough to get a president impeached, then what is? Every one of us in this room right now could have died. And in a rare bipartisan move, 10 House Republicans joining them. My vote to impeach our sitting president is not a fear-based decision. I am not choosing a side, I'm choosing truth. Last week there was a domestic threat at the door of the Capitol and he did nothing to stop it. That is why with a heavy heart and clear resolve, I will vote yes on these articles of impeachment. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy voting against impeachment, but saying this about the president's role in the riot. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. 
Trump's fate is now in the hands of the Senate, and Majority Leader Mitch McConnell made clear his trial will not start until after President-elect Joe Biden begins his term. McConnell, who has said he thinks impeachment will separate Trump from the GOP, has told Republican colleagues he's undecided on conviction. The president is still taking no responsibility for the attacks on the U.S. Capitol and did not mention impeachment in a video statement posted by the White House. But Capitol Hill Democrats think Trump should be held accountable. The guilty intent and his actions can be presented very quickly to the United States Senate. I hope Republicans will join in convicting him. Biden stressing it's crucial for Congress to multitask in the weeks ahead, writing in a statement, quote, I hope that the Senate leadership will find a way to deal with their constitutional responsibilities on impeachment while also working on the other urgent business of this nation. We can both do the trial as well as get the work of the nation done simultaneously. Joe Johns is in Washington with more. Joe, great to have you with us. The big question now is what the Senate do. And as we were hearing there in that report, Mitch McConnell very tight-lipped on where he's going to go here in terms of the vote. He's clearly the majority leader now. He'll very soon be the minority leader. Is it a case of where his vote goes, others follow? Well, one thing's for sure, and that is that if Mitch McConnell were to say that he was fully on board with removing... Uh, Donald Trump and also making Donald Trump ineligible to run for future office, uh, that would probably bring some Republican votes his way. Uh, on the other hand, um, Mitch McConnell has sort of played this going in both directions. At one time, uh, it, there was a strong suggestion coming out that he was on board with uh, the process that was happening in the House of Representatives. And then uh, last night, or he suggested, hey, uh, I don't think we should have and we will not have a trial until the 19th, the 20th, which means it'll be in the hands of the Democrats with the Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer. Uh, the bottom line is McConnell's very smart. And what he is essentially doing is trying to read the tea leaves to figure out which way he needs to go. This president will not find himself receiving any sanctions from the United States uh, Senate unless 17 Republicans vote in favor of doing so. 17 Republicans, that's a big number. And the fact of the matter is, when they ever, whenever they get to the trial in the Senate, one of the big questions is going to be whether you can even hold a trial for a president who has already left office. There, there is some precedent for that in the whole record of impeachment. And there will also be a question about uh, whether the Senate and the Congress just makes their own rules and can do anything they want. Could end up in the courts. And uh, I guess the, the big question, of course, is just what are the numbers going to be? How likely is it at the end of the day that anything happens with Donald Trump having uh, already left office and now in trial in the Senate, Julia? Yeah, it's such a great question, Joe. Does it help, ultimately? This impeachment is not about trying to heal a divided nation, but do you think it helps heal, or actually does this make it worse? Well, there are a lot of people, especially people who follow the law closely or have some interest in the rule of law, who say in such a situation as this, there must be a measure of accountability 
yeah. one way or the other. And we've seen a bit of that just with the impeachment last night. But the question is whether it'll have teeth and uh, and the repercussions if there isn't accountability. Some people say, well, you'll find yourself in a position where another president somewhere down the line would challenge the United States Congress in the same way the events of January 6th challenged the Congress. And because there was no accountability this time, one might think he could get away with it again. Yeah, it's funny. I saw a quote from uh, Republican Representative Jamie Herrera Butler, and she said, yes, on impeachment, I'm not choosing a side, I'm choosing truth. It's the only way to defeat fear. We're not choosing sides here. Joe Johns, great Mm -hmm. to have you with us. Thank you. To the president-elect, we're expecting to hear Joe Biden announce a COVID-19 aid package today, which could be worth some $2 trillion, maybe even more. Direct payments to families are included, as well as state and local funding. President-elect Biden will announce the plans from Willington, Delaware, and that's where we find Jessica Dean. Jessica, great to have you with us. I have to say the jobs numbers this morning illustrate the desperate need out there. But just talk us through what we might expect in this package that's right, Julia. We are expecting to hear from President-elect Biden later today where he's going to lay all of this out. And we're told that $2 trillion number, that's kind of a ballpark. That's what congressional allies have heard. It could be more than that, could be less than that. It's going to depend on negotiations, depend on what they can get through. Uh, but they know that Americans are in desperate need of help. So we are told that this will include direct payments to Americans, could be $2,000 payments to Americans who qualify uh, for that. We're talking about uh, aid to state and local governments for uh, COVID vaccine distribution plans. And remember, a lot of these state and local governments, because of COVID, are also kind of broke right now. They really are having a hard time uh, getting through their budget. So there's a lot of need at the state and local level, in addition to individuals and also, of course, businesses. Small businesses have suffered so much throughout all of this. So expect there to be some things in there for small businesses. They want to get schools back open here in America. You know, it's very hodgepodge. Some schools are open, some are half virtual, some in person, some are purely virtual. So they want to get as many schools back open as possible. And also to do that, they know they've got to get this vaccine distributed at a much quicker rate than what they are doing right now. And so that's going to take planning. It's also going to take funding. So they're going to be asking for that as well. So expect Biden to really uh, lean into all of these different things, which he has talked about, uh, both as president-elect and when he was on the campaign trail of what he would do once he was in power and had the ability to put forth an economic package. And of course, because the Senate is now 50-50 with Kamala Harris, the vice president-elect, making that tie-breaking vote, uh, they believe they can go big here. And you can expect them to try to go big and ask for everything they want, Julia. Yeah, absolutely. Go big or go home. There's a real feel to that and there's certainly real need. Yeah. Jessica Dean, thank you so much for that. All right, let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories that are making headlines around the world. Experts with the World Health Organization are in Wuhan, China, to investigate the origins of COVID-19. But two members of the WHO team had to stay behind in Singapore after testing positive during a stopover for coronavirus antibodies. It's the latest setback for a long-delayed mission. David Culver is following developments for us from Shanghai. David, great to have you with us. I believe this double negative requirement was, was implemented back in November of last year, according to the Chinese Foreign Ministry. Everyone was negative when they left their home base. But then, of course, in certain cases, they had to transition through 
Shanghai, uh, sorry, through Singapore, and therein lies the problem. That's right. And you hear this and you hear that two of the experts were blocked and it raises suspicions immediately, Julia, because of what we have seen and what you mentioned as those long delays in getting this whole team in here. To your point, this has been a regulation that the Chinese government put into place November of last year, and that is that you have to test negative not only for COVID-19, but also the antibodies. So two of those experts staying behind. The other 13 well, they're not going to jump back into research in the field, at least, until another two weeks because they have to go through what is another standard procedure for the epidemic prevention, as the National Health Commission here puts it, and that is the standard quarantine. So after those 14 days, then they are expected to be able to go into the field and they'll start where they are right now, and that is the original epicenter of this outbreak, Wuhan. So the current plan is for them to be doing some of the research from quarantine. Not quite sure how that's going to work. Of course, it's questions that we've put to the WHO and hope to learn more over the coming days. But all of this is happening as China's dealing with another cluster outbreak that's quite serious. This is, as we've mentioned over the past few days, in Hebei province. It's just outside of Beijing. And there's several hundred confirmed cases of coronavirus. Now you hear that, and again, compared to the rest of the world, it sounds insignificant. But for China, a place where we have been living near normal, albeit in a bubble of sorts, this is concerning. And it's so alarming for officials there that we have just learned, Julia, that state media reporting that 20,000 villagers in one area have been moved to centralized quarantine and they're constructing a medical observation facility. So think back to the Wuhan days about a year ago and shortly thereafter, they started to build those makeshift hospitals. Well, it seems like that's being repeated again in this province outside of Beijing and that is in of itself quite concerning. It's not clear how many numbers uh, of the, those cases are uh, gonna continue to be surfacing there. I mean, obviously officials are trying to curtail this. The containment efforts have been rather strict. I mean, we've been living with contact tracing and going around with QR codes, so we're traced by the government. Uh, but this case uh, out of the province in Hebei, really, really alarming. Really alarming. And uh, David, it is astonishing to me that earlier in the show I mentioned 4,300 COVID-related deaths in the United States on Tuesday. Clearly a huge tragedy. I also believe I I read the first COVID-related death in China, of course, for many, many months. Is that correct? That's right. Since May of last year. And of course, these are government figures that we're always attributing here. And when you hear how low the cases are, a lot of people are skeptical again of the numbers as they were during the original outbreak. But I can tell you anecdotally living here, we have experienced life as though it were pre-COVID. And and again, we can't leave and come back in because you oftentimes have to go through visa requirements or you have to go through this strict quarantine if you do get permission to come back in. So it's not that unusual, for example, to see the WHO experts having to go through that. But to have this first death now reported since May of of last year, uh, it's surprising. And again, I think that speaks to why the government there is moving so quickly, particularly within that one province. And and no doubt there could be some of the officials facing punishment because we've seen that repeated over and over when there's a cluster outbreak and things are seemed to have been mishandled. So the National Health Commission believes, well, then some of those local leaders will pay the price. David, great content as always. Important caveat on on government-related data, but that's why it's so great to have you there, just to give your sense of of what you're seeing and and feeling in China. David, great. Thank you so much.
All right, we're going to take a quick break later on. Coming up later on in the show when I get my teeth back in. Reaction to the second impeachment by two of the biggest names in tech. Fresh from the CES, Microsoft President Brad Smith talking technology security and democracy. And thoughts too from Chuck Robbins, the chairman and CEO of Cisco on Biden's plan for technology in the space. Stay with us, that's next. Welcome back to First Move, where we're following two major stories today. A historic second impeachment for outgoing President Donald Trump. And, of course, the massive stimulus plan on tap from incoming president-elect Joe Biden. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is forcefully condemning President Trump's role in the Capitol riots, while at the same time looking to the future and urging a bold new plan to reboot America. It says infrastructure spending, cutting regulation and boosting cybersecurity are all going to be key. The body also believes America stands at a pivotal point in its history. And I'm glad to say Tom Donahue joins us now. He's the CEO of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Uh, always a great pleasure to have you on the show. I want to begin by talking about the impeachment decision from the House yesterday. Is that the right decision from Congress in your mind? Well, Julia, we had very strong feelings about the appropriate way that the president behaved uh, leading up to that tragedy. Uh, and uh, we said that we condemned it. Uh, it was totally inappropriate. And we said that we leave it to the the, the House and the Senate and the vice president when they were talking about the uh, ways to go forward. And we hope they would do it in a judicial and thoughtful way. They have acted. The uh, Senate is saying that they will take up the trial uh, after um, uh, 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 Mr. Biden is uh, as President Biden and uh, probably not immediately because they want to have the attention of the Senate on confirming important members of his cabinet. The decision from the Senate and the vote in the Senate, though, will be critical to determining whether or not President Trump can ever hold public office again. Tom, you are the representative. You're incredibly well connected with the business community throughout the United States of America, whether they're Democrats or whether they're Republicans. What's their view? Should Donald Trump be prevented from holding public office in the future? Well, I think they have a early view of of, uh, this was totally inappropriate. There's a lot of support uh, for action by the Congress. Um, I think uh, there are probably a group of them. Uh, remember, he got 70 plus million votes. Uh, there are a group of them that think that would be inappropriate. There's a group right now that think that's exactly what we ought to do. And then there's a lot of people that will sort of make up their mind as things calm down and a trial is held. But the bottom line is very simple. Having been the only person in history to having been in uh, peach twice, that is an indictment, and going through a trial, uh, and if if he is impeached or convicted, it is my opinion that it will be very difficult, no matter what the the conclusion is of of a conviction, it will be very difficult for him to run for president. 
Tom, you raised a, a very important point there, though, and that was that 74 million people did vote for President Trump. Many of those people, and I separate the, the violence and the riots that we saw last week, but there are many people who remain very confused as a result of misinformation and other reasons. They, they believe this election was stolen. How do we move on and how do we bridge divides in, in society? What role does, does business, does the business community play in, in getting us through this very divisive period? Well, I think uh, the, there's three things I'd say. First of all, they believe uh, a lot of what uh, the president was saying about the election being stolen because he started talking about that long before the election was even held. And, uh, and he is a, a, a passionate, uh, convincing person to a lot of folks. Uh, I believe the issue... Uh, for the business community is very clear. And that is to do everything in our power to help fix the pandemic, to uh, move quickly uh, to work for that portion of the economy that is still not doing well. I mean, more than half of it is just going very aggressive. But the part that's tied into aviation, uh, hotels, events, restaurants and all of that, which is because people are staying home. Um, if we can fix that by helping to get all of these uh, vaccinations done, if we can be ready to go when people can go back to work, uh, we can put a big dent into this issue. In, in addition, uh, there's great opportunity to go forward with an immigration bill and an infrastructure bill infrastructure bill puts people to work. We have to train people for new jobs because many of them have left a job that won't be there when they go back. And training is critical. And then the reality is if we employed everybody that's looking for a job in America, we would still have a real problem with jobs who don't have people to fill them. So put it together, train people, uh, fix the, the vaccinations so everybody can go back to work and then go out and get some folks of special skills to come in on a new immigration bill and create more jobs here in the United States. Yeah, I like your point. I really like your point about the skills gap that's created and only accelerated as a result of, of what we've been through in, in the last year. Tom, we could hear a $2 trillion financial aid package proposal from Joe Biden. It may even be bigger. Are you on board with a proposal of that size, even if it means higher corporate tax rates for your community in order to fund it? Well, first of all, uh, I'll split the questions and answer them separately. And the first thing is we're, we'll be okay with um, most of what the the president-elect, and at the time next week, the president proposes. Uh, we've got to be very careful that we don't provide too much money to people that we need to go back to work. Uh, but on the other hand, we have got to make sure people aren't put out of their homes and that they're not uh, in situations where they can't support their family. So we'll look for the things we can support. Uh, as far as the corporate taxes, uh, there's going to be a half a dozen different ways that people are going to 
on the Biden side and, and Republicans as well are going to look to bring more money into the government. We've already spent more than $4 trillion on sustaining our fellow citizens mm. and we'll spend. And so uh, we're going to be looking at uh, some sources of revenue. I'm not quick to say that corporate taxes are the best way to go because I don't want that strong part of the economy by increasing taxes a great deal or by going back to more regulation. If that slows down, then everything we're doing is weakened uh, by, uh, by a lack of uh, revenue from a strong economy. It's not a simple yes or no. <clears throat> Let's see what people are proposing, how they want to do it, and what the attachments are. Yeah, and the key is efficiency, to your point too. Tom, great to chat to you as always. Tom Donahue, the CEO of the US Chamber of Commerce. Uh, thank you once again for joining us this morning on First Move. All right, coming up, President Trump impeached just days before leaving the White House. How the business community is reacting. We'll talk to the CEO of Cisco next. Welcome back to First Move. The opening bell has sounded on Wall Street for the fourth time this week. And the U.S. majors are higher, as you can see in early trading, as investors await President-elect Biden's big stimulus reveal later on today. We're around three-tenths of a percent higher right now across the board. Investors are hoping for a fiscal flood over the coming months, a new round of direct payments to Americans and extended jobless benefits for the unemployed, among a whole host of other things. And brand new jobless numbers could make Biden's sell a little bit easier on Capitol Hill and subdue criticism that the spending will lead to wider deficits. The number of Americans filing for first-time benefits approaching 1 million people a week once again. The worst read since August. The Fed Chair Jay Powell also speaking today, sure to address, I think, this and, of course, the ongoing pandemic crisis. All right, let's bring it back to D.C. In a new intelligence bulletin warning that the attack on the U.S. Capitol will likely motivate extremists to commit more violence. It comes as CNN has learned that federal investigators have uncovered evidence that leads them to believe the Capitol siege was planned. CNN's Jessica Schneider has more. A federal law enforcement source tells CNN that surveillance footage indicates the domestic terror attack on the Capitol last week was not just a protest that spiraled out of control. Look, there's no doubt there were at least some conspiracies. People wandering around exercising their First Amendment rights don't bring ropes and ladders and sledgehammers to a spontaneous event. This was a planned assault as if going after a castle. The tactics and weapons seen on surveillance video suggest a high level of planning went into the attack, the law enforcement source says. Some attendees of President Donald Trump's speech left the event early, possibly to retrieve items to be used in the assault on the Capitol. Law enforcement officials are following the money to try to piece together the events of January 6th. We're looking at everything, money, travel records, uh, looking at disposition, movement, communication records. Officials are also investigating reports that groups of people received tours from members of Congress the day before the attack. Investigators stress that does not mean any members of Congress are under investigation. More than 30 House members have called on the sergeants at arms and Capitol Police to investigate what one House Democrat is calling a reconnaissance mission. No one is above the law, not the president, not his attorney, and certainly not any member of Congress. 
if any member of Congress incited their insurrection or gave inside information, the FBI should investigate them. And if prosecutors look at the facts and think they should be charged, then they should be charged. New video shows the chilling communication efforts near the end of the insurrection, showing how determined rioters were to penetrate the Capitol. Hey guys, I've been in the other room. Listen to me. In the other room on the other side of this door, right here where these are standing, there is a glass that if somebody, if it's broken, you can drop down into a room underneath it. So people should probably coordinate together if you're going to take this building. More have been arrested on charges related to the attack, including two off-duty Virginia police officers. They posted a photo from inside the Capitol and had their first court appearance Wednesday. This man, who wore a sweatshirt that read Camp Auschwitz, has been arrested and charged with entering the Capitol without permission and violent entry and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. An Olympic gold medalist, Cleet Keller, has been charged for his alleged involvement in the insurrection after investigators say he was photographed in the Capitol wearing a Team USA jacket. A growing number of American companies continuing to take action following that violence at U.S. Capitol last week. Cisco, one of them, the company's employee-sponsored PAC, a body that pulls political donations, suspending donations to politicians who opposed the presidential election results. Joining us now, Cisco Chairman and CEO Chuck Robbins. Chuck, great to have you on the show. Your views on the decision to impeach the, the president in the House, does it help the healing process that this nation needs to undergo now? Well, Julia, first of all, thanks for having me. It's good to chat with you. Um, listen, I, I think that uh, what I would say is that the last couple of weeks have been incredibly sad, and uh, it's a it's a very difficult time in our country. Uh, I think that obviously the legislature has to make the decision on the facts uh, relative to the impeachment, which the House has done. Uh, but you know, my focus right now is on next week and trying to work with a new administration, try to bring unity back, and to, uh, to really try to move forward. We have so many crises in this country right now, and it is just astounding to me that we still let partisanship uh, override our desire to actually solve some of these problems. So that's what we're hoping for as we move into next week. Chuck, can business take a, a more definitive role? I mean, I mentioned the political donations looking at the decisions that politicians take and saying, look, we are or we aren't going to give money to those people. It perhaps doesn't matter for the next one, two, three, four quarters. It will matter when we come towards the midterms. Yeah, I think every company is going through a bit of an investigative process and trying to assess what their posture is going to be relative to political donations in the future. Uh, I heard Larry Fink speaking this morning that BlackRock is undertaking that effort, as are we. Uh, we will continue to assess uh, you know, how we donate, but we also believe that a lot of the things that we are uh, ac advocating for are good for the country and are needed candidly, like broadband, you know, infrastructure, 5G. All those things are going to help uh, as it relates to the inequality and the digital divide that we see out there. So there's a lot of things that we do want to continue to support, but I think every business is going to have to assess what their position is going forward for sure.
It's such an important point that you make. I mean, technology or the social media platforms have come under fierce criticism, in particular in the last week for uh, the role perhaps in misinformation. But at the same time, technology can play a huge role in benefiting society, whether it's, to your point, the greater provision of 5G technology, the health developments that we've made just in the last year. How does the next administration shape that? And what role does Cisco pay specifically? Well, I think the opportunity is to look at infrastructure from the perspective of digital infrastructure. And as we think about uh, the ability to bring people into the economy and to, and to give people opportunity, it, it starts with fundamental connectivity and half the world's population doesn't have high-speed broadband. And when you bring them onto the internet, you give them connectivity, then you can deliver services. And one of the great things that we've learned this past year can effectively deliver health care. We can effectively deliver education. And I think that we have to take advantage of those learnings in an unbelievably difficult year to actually shape how we uh, solve some of these problems going forward. So we give them connectivity, we deliver health care, education, give them opportunity. And I think that's, a, that's the key first step. And I think that's part of the administration's infrastructure strategy. And we look forward to working with them on it. And part of uh, Cisco's plan, of course, going forward, that deal with Acacia and uh, seemingly challenged over the last uh, couple of days. I believe you have some uh, good news to share with us, Chuck. What can you tell us? Yeah, Julia, we came to uh, agreement with Acacia uh, and just issued a press release a few minutes ago uh, that uh, we have renegotiated the price on the transaction to what we believe is fair value for where they are. They've operated the company very well over the last year and a half as we have worked to get approvals. And so we're excited to have them. We're looking forward to having them on board and, uh, you know, really moving forward effectively for our customers. So you're paying a bit more, but it's worth it and it's going to be worth it for the business going forward and for customers. We, we think so. Chuck, fantastic to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Chuck Robbins, the Cisco chairman and CEO. All right, after the break, the president of Microsoft, Brad Smith, from democracy to privacy, cybersecurity. Oh boy, there's much to discuss. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. It really is a sign of these extraordinary times when business leaders find themselves demanding politicians accept electoral college results. This letter calling for an orderly transition of power was signed by Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft. Political donations from the company's PAC are also on pause, and it's an issue for debate among its 163,000 strong workforce. Technology's role in democracy is something Brad Smith warned about in his 2019 book, Tools and Weapons, The Promise and Peril of the Digital Age. And I'm pleased to say Brad Smith joins us now. Brad, always great to uh, to have you on the show. What a crystal ball, quite frankly, that book was. Um, you need about 20 crystal balls, I think, to, to predict what we've seen over the last week or so. Brad, what do you make of, of what we're seeing politically here in the United States? Well, we didn't have a crystal ball, Julia, to see what happened last week. Um, mm. Although a few days before what happened, we did worry. Uh, and we came out as a company and we joined many others and we used our voice you know, to call for a peaceful transition of power, uh, the upholding of the rule of law and democratic values. Uh, and I'm glad we did. I'm glad the business community as a whole spoke up for that before last week's vote. Um, 
it's a hard time. I actually think people need a little time to grieve. And then I think we do need to find a way to move forward. You mean people need to grieve the events of the past week or they need to grieve even just not getting the result that they wanted in the election and being confused about that and what happened about that? Because I think there are a lot of people out there that remain confused and frightened, actually. Well, we're at a moment in time when we're in the middle of a pandemic. And I do think it's good for all of us to remember the enemy is a virus. It's not each other. Uh, And there were bad people who did bad things last week. Let's not mince words about that. But that's not the case for 70 million people who may have voted against a candidate that some others wanted to see elected. Uh, And so we we will need to find a way to work across the aisle, to move forward as a nation. Uh, And I think the business community will have an important role, as it always does, to promote the kinds of steps that will help us recover from this pandemic and then really build the kind of economic recovery that is more inclusive of everyone. Let's talk about exactly this, Brad, and the role that that technology companies like yourself plays. And again, it goes back, I think, to the heart of what you were talking about again in your book, whether we're talking about privacy, security, cybersecurity, of course. In ordinary times, we'd be talking about the SolarWinds hack, which was monumental at the, the back end of last year. What role does technology and technology companies have to play now? And also, what role do governments have to play? Well, I think we both need to step up in the private sector and in government as well. I think we both need to move faster. Uh, We need to strengthen the nation's and the world's defenses against the kinds of cyber attacks that we've been seeing over the last several years and even more in the wake of what we saw where SolarWinds was victimized and then its software was used to infiltrate and attack others. We need to build the trust that people have to have in the technology they use around issues like privacy. And then we need to think about how we use technology to get people vaccinated and create jobs and help people get the skills to fill them. Okay, I was going to ask you something else and I've changed my mind because I saw an announcement this morning that Microsoft is one of those companies that is coming together to to build an alliance to try and track the data of people getting vaccinated. This is so critically important when there's not just one dose of vaccine, but two. Can you just give us uh, just a quick um, mention about what you're actually doing there and how this will work? Yes, there's a couple of different things that we're doing. And the announcement today with a number of other tech companies and others is basically to create a technology platform so that if you go and you get a test and it's negative or you go and get a vaccine and you have that record, uh, you no longer have to carry around a piece of paper that uh, if you're like me, you're probably going to lose at some point. Uh, But you can have that recorded. You can have an app. If you want to get on an airplane, they require evidence of something like that, you can show them. I think it will be something that people will have an option to use that will be important for the convenience of their lives in the months ahead. But I actually think there's another thing we're doing that to me perhaps is even more important. We need to get people vaccinated in the United States, around the world. And suddenly what we're learning in some ways is that it was perhaps ironically easier to invent these vaccines, an extraordinary scientific achievement, than to master all of the logistics needed to get shots into people's arms. And so what we're 
really focused on right now across the United States and around the world is providing the technology platform really from an end-to-end perspective so that an individual can find out, am I eligible? Where can I go? How do I schedule an appointment? And that is the type of thing that if we're going to move faster, uh, we need to put technology to work, and we specifically have our technology that we're providing and working with to states, localities, countries. It's how we get the world moving again, allowing people to travel once more. And actually, there's a there's a key connection here between fighting COVID, between tackling cybersecurity. It's a global issue. It can't and we can't have nations navel gazing, dealing with their own domestic issues and not sharing information globally, too. This is also part of tackling some of these big crises and issues, surely, too, Brad. Absolutely. I mean, I think the broad lesson, as you and I have talked about in the past, is it doesn't matter what the problem is. It doesn't matter what the opportunity is. Technology plays a role. But especially when we have an issue like cybersecurity, where there are more sophisticated cyber threats than we've ever seen before. We're at a moment in time where we need governments to share information and tech companies to share information in new ways with each other and even across the silos within their own organizations. And this is going to require some cultural change for each of us. It will require an important conversation about privacy. We have to protect that at the same time. But we will not protect the world unless we take the kinds of steps that are needed to work together in new ways. Yeah, we can't let this conversation quiet and we keep having to, um, we must keep having it. Brad, these are big issues, there are big solutions, but sometimes smaller solutions can make a really big difference. I just want to ask you, because I saw another blog post from you about the work that you're doing in Washington State as a company, another $110 million dollars. Talk to me about what you're doing there, and I know it's making a massive difference. Well, I think you know every long journey has a number of stepping stones along the way, and certainly for us at Microsoft, it's involved a few. Uh, one is to continue to pay all of our hourly workers since last March, even though our offices are not open and there's hence not work for them to come to work to do. Um, we have spent more than $150 million on that around the world so far. We just committed another $110 million here in the Puget Sound region in Washington State. And it's not just our hourly workers we're focused on. Uh, it's the nonprofits that have been, I think, some of the great heroes of the last year. Uh, across the country, these organizations have been called on to do more than ever before to support so many people. Uh, so we've committed another 50 to 60 million to help them over the next six months. Uh, we're trying to work with the schools to help them reopen, to provide them with PPE, uh, to urge the vaccination for teachers, because I think one of the most lasting losses out of the pandemic is what it means for kids, perhaps especially less privileged kids who simply cannot learn at home as well as they can at school. Uh, so we're very focused on that as well. Yeah, it's a rallying cry for action, Brad, and we're grateful for it. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's always a pleasure to speak to you, Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft there. So thank you. Right up next, the streets of Washington, D.C. have a very different feel right now as security scaled up ahead of the Biden inauguration. We're live on Capitol Hill with the latest on what intelligence officials are warning about. Stay with us.
Welcome back to the show. Security being ramped up in Washington, D.C. ahead of next week's inauguration. Pete Montine is on Capitol Hill. For us, Pete, great to have you with us. I think your backdrop says everything. That's right, Julie. You know, it's such a strange scene here. Through the massive fence here, blocks away from the Capitol, you can see some of the 20,000 National Guardsmen descending on Washington right now. The threat here is very real, according to the Secret Service, which is now leading security for this inauguration. It says it's monitoring chatter online of the potential of more armed protests here in Washington. The Pentagon says it's especially concerned about improvised explosive devices, those pipe bombs like that were left outside the RNC and the DNC. And the head of the Metropolitan Washington Police Department here in D.C. says there is a real reason why the district is discouraging people from coming here. Here's what he said. As the mayor has encouraged residents, as she has encouraged uh, visitors from around the country, you know, we, we're not asking people to come to D.C. for this. There's a major security threat, and we are working to mitigate those threats. So, um, uh, again, I mean, we, we, we are just very intently focused on the job that's at hand. Julia, can't underscore enough how jarring this scene here is. This massive fence is around what a, a spot that would be typically be filled with people. I'm six feet tall. This is eight feet tall. The District of Columbia clearing out right now for an inauguration like no other. Julia? Inauguration like no other. Pete, thank you for being there and for bringing that to us. Pete Montine, great to have you with us. All right, that just about wraps up the show. I'm Julia Chatterley. Stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow and connect the world with Becky Anderson is up next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.